and this is Encounter with God, where you can join 20 million other people around the world in studying the same chapter of the Bible. And today we're going to be studying from Acts chapter 7. But before we do, we have a most important exercise that we always do every morning, and that is the quiz. Yes, we have the quiz, and we have some exciting announcement to make. Oh, but first of all, what city can. am I? Doeg, the Edomite. Oh, we already talked about Doeg. Put to death every living thing in this city. Priests, men, women, children, everything was put to death by Doeg the Edomite in this Except city. Except one. Oh. There was a survivor. Oh. Mm-hmm. It was a city full of priests. There's another clue for you. <coughs> I, I, I just like the, the, the name Doeg. Yeah, it's a pretty cool name. D-O-E-G. <laughs> Doeg, you, you you know when somebody's called Doeg, that's going to be a bad guy. That's like a bad guy yeah. name right there. <laughs> yeah, He's going to be just as evil as Doeg. Well, if you know the answer to that quiz, give us a call, 1-800-FAITH-FM. It's 1-800-324-843. Now, Lyle, mm-hmm. we have to invite everyone to our birthday party. Oh, yes, of course. Party, party, party time. So this You are all invited. Everyone, come, and, come and meet us. We would love to. We would love to meet you. Yes, we'd love to meet all our listeners. Everyone is, of course, invited. It's going to be this weekend at Nunawading SDA Church uh, in Victoria. Yes, uh, it's 169 Central Road in Nunawading, and uh, it'll be starting at 9:30. We already have um, we have a poster up on social media, so you can go check it out if you want more details. But yeah, 9:30 in the morning. Uh, this coming. And our social media, of Saturday. course, is uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Yes, that's right. So, yes, you're all welcome to come along. It is free to come. You don't need to pay. You can just turn up and uh, it'll be a good time for all. And you and I are going to be there? Yes. You and I and the Aussie pastor, uh, Lloyd Grollamond. Okay, so he's featured here on Faith FM all the time as well? Yes, indeed. And someone else. Uh, oh, they're having like a concert and all like the best music of Faith FM. So oh, wow. Yeah, a lot of performers. So all of, the, all of your favourites. Yes, it's going to be great. Gospel favourites. It's going to yep. be amazing. Um, I think uh, Gavin Chatelier, will he be there? Oh, I can't sure remember Gavin's the exact be, lineup, uh, but yeah, it's going to be a good day. It's going to be fantastic, and we would love to meet you. We would really, re- we, we love you guys as our listeners, and we would love to meet you, so please do make the effort. Come along and uh, and introduce yourselves. Um, sometimes we sit here in the studio and we talk to a microphone. It's like, well, you know, we know people are listening, but we just never get to meet them, so yes. this would be a really nice thing. So. Yes. Uh, the two events that are coming up, and we've been talking about this for a while. We do need to set a date for it, but uh, the first, of course, is the 10-year anniversary birthday party in Nunawarding, Victoria, and the second is Waffle Breakfast at Maitland Seventh Avenue Church. Here in Newcastle. Very excited about both of those. Two yeah. opportunities where we can get together and we can meet each other, which would just be amazing. Yeah, it's very exciting for us that we actually get to fly down to Victoria for our birthday party. <laughs> I've never flown for a birthday party before. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good time. It's going to be great. There you go. Are you a nervous flyer? No. Okay, you're going to have to hold my hand because I am. I love flying. (laughs) Flying is the best. I grew up flying. My dad was a pilot, so I learned to fly. I actually learned to fly. No, I didn't learn to fly before I learned to drive, but I learned to fly when I was about 15. Oh, really? Yeah. So if Flying's not hard. If the plane went down, you could, you know, get that thing out of control? Uh, If it went down, no, but if it was going down, maybe. Okay, that's good to know. Good uh, to know that I'll be seeing someone who can take over. If, if the pilot dies, I'll have a pretty good crack at getting it on the ground. You know, actually, just during the song break, safely. During the song break, just then, I did getting actually, a plane on the ground is not hard, but safely be, is the trick. I was actually just reading um, during the song break that um, there's a survey that reveals that a significant number of pilots suffer from depression. Oh, really? Yeah. Why is that? I don't know. Apparently, it's rampant in um, in airline pilots. 
So survey reveals in front of me right now. Survey reveals significant number of airline pilots report depressive symptoms, including suicidal thoughts. Mm. Yeah, that's weird. I know that uh, pilot uh, airline pilots do tend to be a bit OCD. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. To be a good airline pilot, you've got to be OCD because it's all about lists. Yeah. You know, you've got to check off this list and then and this and this and this and everything has to be done in exactly the right order at exactly the right time. And, uh, yeah, so some of them tend to be a bit OCD about stuff. It's like, well, the reason I clicked on this... It has to be in order. The reason, and, I, and I'm really glad about that. I'm, I'm thinking this is like this is a good thing. This is a very positive thing. The reason I clicked on this article was because it was talking about people born in March... And it turns out that most pilots are born in March, as are most artistic people. And, uh, and I CEOs. was born in March. Yeah, so was I. So, yeah. So that's I'm why I not artistic. It. Well, I'm not but a pilot. But I love aeroplanes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I hate give me half a chance. <laughs> give me half a chance and I will have my pilot's license. I've never been able to uh, justify the it's, money for it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty expensive. Um, but um, love aeroplanes, love flying is just the best. So we'll be flying down for our 10-year anniversary birthday party. You can come along, join us there in Victoria, and, uh, and we're going to have a great time. But let's get back to our 10 million movement. Uh, so we've been looking in the book of Acts. We looked at Stephen's ministry, and, uh, and now we're going to go before the Sanhedrin. Okay, Acts chapter 7. You want to read a couple of verses right there at the beginning for us, please, Mon? Yeah, sure. Acts chapter 7 and just verses 1 onwards. Yeah, why not? It's a good place to start. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these accusations true? This was Stephen's reply. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Our glorious God appeared to our ancestor Abraham in Mesopotamia before he settled in Haran. God told him, leave your native land and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. So Abraham left the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran until his father died. Then God brought him here to the land where you now live. But God gave him no inheritance here, not even one square foot of land. God did promise, however, that eventually the whole land would belong to Abraham and his descendants, even though he had no children yet. (coughs) God also told him that his descendants would live in a foreign land where they would be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, God said, and in the end they will come out and worship me here in this place. God also gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision at that time. So when Abraham became the father of Isaac, he circumcised him on the eighth day. And the practice was continued when Isaac became the father of Jacob and when Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs of the Israelite nation. These patriarchs were jealous of their brother Joseph, and they sold him to be a slave in Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles, and God gave him favor before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God also gave Joseph unusual wisdom, so that Pharaoh appointed him governor over all of Egypt and put him in charge of the palace. Let's stop there for a moment. Yeah. It's a good read. He's going through, like, the history. He keeps why, going. Why, why is he doing this? I think it's trying to do bring... These, do these people not know their history? He's like, okay, guys, you don't know your history. Let me give you a history lesson and tell you. I think they need to be reminded... Maybe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And because uh, and he, he keeps going on for quite a while. That was like verses 1, 2, or 10. ten. Yeah. But he it's keeps going on this history lesson all the way down to like, oh, verse 50 by the looks of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It goes on for a while. It goes yeah, on for a yeah. while. It's, and it's a good history lesson. It's a, okay, so here's a couple of interesting thoughts. First of all, here he is in front of the Sanhedrin. These people know their history better than anybody else. Yeah. Why is he repeating it? Secondly, this is the longest sermon we have recorded 
in the book of Acts, which shows its importance and its significance. So if this sermon is so important and so significant, why are we just being told what we already know? I mean, as Christians, we already know this story. Uh, The Jewish people certainly knew this story. So why is it that um, this is what, you know, he chooses like, yeah, okay, let me just run through a bit of history. And they're all sitting there twiddling their thumbs like, yep, yep, yeah, 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 yep. What's your thought, Tim, on? Is he pointing out to them that they, um, well, first of all, he's glorifying how God has delivered them all throughout the while and all the promises that God gave and how God kept his promises. Okay, so he's he's drawing out some very important lessons. And, of course, the first lessons, as you have mentioned here, is God's providence in relationship to Israel. Yeah. So God is not going to let, you know, Israel down. He's not going to let the Jewish people down. God is there for his people. Absolutely. And of course, at this particular point, they are still effectively God's church. That's right. Yeah, it's, a, it's about to change. Yeah, yeah. So he's. Within he, an uh, hour of uh, that. But. He's drawing out how good God is and God's promises, but then he points out how unfaithful they are in relation to the God that's been so faithful to them. Okay. And what kind of a impression do you think they are getting when he starts to talk about their unfaithfulness? I think they're probably getting quite uncomfortable. What would they be seeing from that? Seeing? Yeah, what would they be seeing in the in 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 uh, in, in Stephen pointing out their unfaithfulness to God? Oh, they're probably feeling very accused and uh, I think they're going to get super mad at mm. Stephen. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. pretty much what mm-hmm. happens as we go down through the passage, isn't it? And so Stephen here is really drawing a parallel between the Pharisees or the Sanhedrin and ancient Israel and some of the terrible things that ancient Israel became involved in. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, so if we if we look at this um, this whole story here in a little bit more detail, there's a number of things that come to mind. And the first is that when God wants to challenge his people, mm-hmm. Uh, or to rebuke his people in relationship to the covenant, he often does so by reminding them of their past history. Mm -hmm. Reminding them of the way that God has blessed them in the past and reminding them that they are, you know, there, that they they have been called by God and then also reminding them of some of the terrible things that they have done against God. Mm -hmm. This is, this is not unusual. In fact, in the Bible, um, <clears throat> the they sometimes use the Hebrew word rib. Now, I've probably pronounced that wrong because I don't speak Hebrew, and so all the Hebrewists out there are going to be like, oh, he said it wrong. That's okay. Um, the best translation is probably covenant lawsuit. Okay. And so this is where God comes along and he reminds them of the covenant, but it is in the form of a lawsuit against them. God is standing in judgment of them. Mm-hmm. And so the language that Stephen is using here is the language of a lawsuit, as it were, against the Jews and the Jewish nation at this particular time for their failure to keep the covenant. Okay. So there's there's one of the reasons why I think that uh, um, Stephen is going through all of this past history. Okay. Now, just thinking back to what we were studying about yesterday. Mm-hmm. What do you think about this for a moment? What was it? <clears throat> that Stephen was accused of previous to this particular sermon in front of the Sanhedrin? 
Oh, he was accused of uh, lying and, and blaspheming, mm-hmm. um, saying that they had heard uh, him say that that um, Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the, the customs and the traditions and laws that Moses handed down to them. Okay, so he is accused of basically speaking against, you know, the laws that Moses, speaking against Moses mm-hmm. and speaking against the temple. Mm-hmm. And so what he does is he presents this sermon right here. And it's, it's very interesting how the language of the sermon goes because he talks about, you know, our fathers did this and our fathers did that and our fathers did the other all mm-hmm. the way through, right? Mm-hmm. And as he works his way through this, he is identifying himself as a Jewish person, even though he is obviously a, a Greek Jew, you know, he's a Hellenistic Jew, mm-hmm. he's a Greek-speaking Jew, but he identifies himself as a Jewish person. He identifies with his Jewish nationality and his Jewish religion, and by presenting the history, he's presenting, look, I'm not speaking against Moses, I believe in Moses, I believe in Abraham, I believe in all of the prophets. You know, I'm not speaking against these guys, I'm speaking in defense of these guys, I'm standing up for what they taught. Absolutely. Because what they taught pointed forward to Jesus as the Messiah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so in many ways he's simply answering the objection that has been brought against him because like, oh, he's speaking against Moses and all of our fathers and so forth. And like, okay, let me share with you. you know, and, he, and he goes through and he shows that he, know, he has a very intimate knowledge of the whole history of what it means to be a Jew. Because as a Hellenistic Jew, you think about this, you know, <clears throat> he turns up there in Israel and he's been doing these amazing things. And I think a lot of the Jewish Jews, it would be like, well, what do you really know? Mm. Who do you think you are? Mm-hmm. Um, you don't even speak Aramaic. You can't even speak Hebrew or Jewish. You probably could, but you know the the the, the Greek Jews or the Greek you know, the culturally Greek Jews were seen as a different class of Jew. They think they were better. The Jewish Jews thought that they were better. Okay. They were the ones who, um, you know, they'd been born and raised in Jerusalem, right beside the temple, right there, mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. all of this had been taking place, you know, and they were, um, you know, they were the, they were the ones, so to speak. <coughs> okay, so let's continue on with our story here. Let's read a few more verses. It's quite a, quite a, um, quite a long passage, but um, it's a really good one. So yeah, give us some more verses there. But a famine came upon Egypt and Canaan. There was great misery, and our ancestors ran out of food. Jacob heard that there was still grain in Egypt, so he sent his sons, our ancestors, to buy some. The second time they went, Joseph revealed his identity to his brothers, and they were introduced to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent for his father, Jacob, and all his relatives to come to Egypt, 75 persons in all. So Jacob went to Egypt. He died there, as did our ancestors. Their bodies were taken to Shechem, and buried in the tomb Abraham had brought for a certain price from Hamor's sons in Sheshem. At the time, as the time drew near when God would fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. But then came a new king to the throne of Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. This king exploited our people and oppressed them, forcing parents to abandon their newborn babies so they would die. Notice as we're going through this particular passage here that the Bible repeatedly talks about, you know, he, he exploited our people. Mm-hmm. This happened to our ancestors. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, I, I might be a, a Hellenistic, a Greek Jew, but I am a Jew nonetheless. These are my ancestors. These are my fathers. This is who I have descended from. This is who I've identified with. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you know, highlighting God's providence and highlighting how that, 
you know, God's providence and God's promises related to the land of Israel. Mm-hmm. The promised land, how they left the promised land, how they came back to the promised land, how that this land was given to Israel, uh, because he's then going to move on and highlight the purpose for God's people having been brought into that promised land. Why did God create a nation and why did he place it at the crossroads of three continents? Mm. You know, Israel is at the crossroads of Africa, Asia, and Europe. And of course, you know this was this was one of the areas where you had the you know the, one of the, some of the greatest amounts of commerce that was taking place between those three continents all passed through the land of Israel. Israel was a small nation; it was intended to be a rather large nation. And under David and Solomon, it did reach a rather large extent, going all the way from the river of Egypt to the Euphrates in the north, which is you know very very significant um, empire. That was God's intention, and God's intention was to bless this nation so that the whole world would see the results of serving God Mm -hmm. and choose to serve God. Absolutely. However, Stephen goes on to highlight uh, the fact that in their past history, they had not always been faithful to God. Been faithful to God. In fact, for the vast majority of their history, they had failed. Miserably, miserably. Terribly and miserably um, <coughs> in maintaining the honor of God and the knowledge of God as a nation. And as a result of that, you know, there'd been disasters on, on, on many occasions. And so if you work your way down through the passage, you know, he gives the uh, history of how he came to Moses. Mm-hmm. You know, when you come down to, ooh, where does it go to? Um... Oh, the Mo- the story of Moses here is a long story. Yeah, it goes on for quite a while. Yeah, Moses starts what in uh, verse twenty, and it continues down through. Oh, it goes a long way down through there. Uh, probably for about twenty verses, you've got the story of Moses, and this is important because once again he has been accused of speaking against Moses. He's like, okay, I haven't been speaking against Moses. If you want Moses, let me share with you Moses. And he totally validates the story of Moses. He validates the story of Moses and then draws lessons out of the story of Moses. Let's go down to um, um, verse 37. This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto me of your brethren like me. Him you need to listen to. This is a prophecy that Moses made about Jesus Christ. So he throws that in there. They can't argue against that because he hasn't actually applied it to Jesus Christ yet. He has just mentioned that this prophecy took place. Mm. Um, <clears throat> continuing on from there, it says, um, and this is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spoke to him in the mountain of Sinai and with our fathers who received the living oracles to give to us. There's an interesting point there. Who was it that spoke to who was it that spoke to Moses in Mount Sinai? God, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was actually Jesus Christ. Okay. Yeah. It mm-hmm. was God the Son. Mm-hmm. And here he's described as an angel. Mm-hmm. And that is because the word angel simply means messenger. It's the Greek word angelos and it means messenger. And did Jesus come to Mount Sinai with a message? He absolutely did. He most certainly did. A most important message, the message of the Ten Commandments. We're going to come back and talk more about that in just a moment. But right now we're going to listen to Jaden Lavik with I Surrender All.
Jaden Levick with I Surrender All here on Faith FM. Do we have another clue for our quiz? Yes, we do. Okay, what city am I? When Saul ordered his guards to kill the priests of this city, they refused. Ooh, Ooh. that's why Doeg had to do it because Doeg was the only one who uh, was like, well, mean I, enough. <laughs> yeah, mean enough and nasty enough and Doeg was not a um, Israelite. Oh, he wasn't. He was an Edomite. Oh, okay, okay. Yes, he's that's called, why he was a rascal. He's called Doeg the Wily Edomite. Hmm, okay. Yeah, very sinister individual. Okay, where are we going to? What was the city of the priests? We need to find that one out and answer the quiz question for the day. Do your research, dig your Bibles out, find us the answer. We need to know what it is here on Faith FM. 1-800-FAITH-FM, of course, is the number to call. Yes, or text us on 491 Okay, so going back to our story here, Mon, I want you to read for us. We were reading about Moses mm-hmm. and his experience in the wilderness. Why don't you read for us verse 39? 39, let me find it. But our ancestors refused to listen to Moses. They rejected him and wanted to return to Egypt. Mm, notice, notice once again, our ancestors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They rejected him and they wanted to return to Egypt. Mm-hmm. So what is he implying here? Well, he's linking himself with with them. Okay, he's linking himself with them and he's saying, okay, our ancestors 
messed up mm-hmm. epically. Yeah. Why should we sit here? You know, the implication is why should we sit here and say, well, we would never fall into that kind of mistake. Anybody is susceptible to fall into that mistake. Oh, yeah. But once again, he, like our ancestors did this. And uh, then go down to, um, yeah, we'll just keep reading. Next, uh, down to verse 43. They told Aaron, make us some gods who can lead us, for we don't know what has become of this Moses who brought us out of Egypt. So they made an idol shaped like a calf and they sacrificed to it and celebrated over this thing they had made. Then God turned away from them and abandoned them to serve the stars of of heaven as their gods. That's pretty terrible. Oh, yeah. That's just yeah. horrific. It gets worse. In the book of the prophets, it is written, Was it to me you were offering sacrifices and offerings during those 40 years in the wilderness, Israel? No, you carried your pagan gods, the shrine of Molech, the star of your god, Raphan, and the images you made to worship them. So I will send you into exile as far away as Babylon. Our ancestors carried the tabernacle with them through the wilderness. It was constructed according to the plan God had shown to Moses. And years later, when Joshua led our ancestors into battle against the nations that God drove out of this land, the tabernacle was taken with them into their new territory, and it stayed there until the time of King David. Okay, so he begins to talk about um, the uh, you know, the whole um, you know the, the temple of the, the temple here that he's been accused of speaking against. Mm-hmm. Okay, so before we get to that, we have somebody who's called through, Ooh. I believe, with an answer to the quiz, and uh, we'll, we'll just see, but maybe we can get them uh, on air to answer that for us, but anyway, um, <coughs> see whether they got the correct answer or not. Hmm, I'm very impressed that they do. Okay, so Stephen goes on, he's like, okay, you accuse me of talking against the temple, let me talk about the temple, let's let's, let's go there. You want to go there? Let's Let's do exactly that. And, of course, that's um, exactly what takes place. He's talking about the temple. But before he does that, he's been talking about how that our ancestors did what? Well, they were faithless. They, they, Moses went up on the mountain. They, uh, they lost sight they of him. made a golden calf. They made a golden calf. They worshipped Moloch. They wanted to have something to worship because they couldn't see Moses anymore. They worshipped Rephim. They sacrificed their children. They did the worst kinds of... You know, the worst kinds of idolatry imaginable. Mm -hmm. And all the way through, our fathers did this. Our fathers did that. Our fathers did the other. Mm -hmm. But our fathers did some good things as well. They built this temple, a beautiful temple, and they worshipped in this temple. Mm -hmm. Okay, verse 47. Did we read that already? 47, let me have a look. Um, No, we didn't. Read that one for us. But it was Solomon who actually built it. Okay, keep going. However, the Most High doesn't live in temples made by humans' hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Can you build me a temple as good as that? Asked the Lord. Could you build me such a resting place? Okay, stop right there. All right. Here's, you know, at this particular point, Stephen points out the obvious. Mm-hmm. You know, did God did did God say, "Let them make me a sanctuary that I may live amongst them"? Because He needed a roof over His head. Does God yeah. need a roof over no, His head? No, no. Now God doesn't need a roof over His head, and so He makes the point, and He is stating the obvious: God doesn't need a roof over His head. You know, He quotes from you know where David said, "Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool." You know, the whole earth. I just put my foot on it. Yeah, exactly. You, know, you can't put God under under a roof here on this earth. Yeah, no temple that man built could ever house a God that big. 
Okay, but what did the Jews believe about their temple? That it housed God. That it housed God. Mm. That God was actually in that temple. And the moment that he says this, and it's interesting the way in which he addresses it, because he makes a very simple statement, one of the shortest verses in the Bible. Um, <coughs> Solomon built him a house, followed by God does not live in temples made with hands. Mm-hmm. He just says that. He knows that that is going to be just, you know, just absolutely explosive mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in this audience. He makes that statement and he immediately backs it up by quoting scripture. Oh. Now, of course, it shows he has a very com- good command of scripture because he, you know, he's quoting from memory. And he backs it up because he knows that they're going to argue that point with him. And so by backing it up with scripture, they can't argue the point with him. But at this particular point, as he looks about out across his audience, and this comes through very, very clearly, he recognizes he's about to die. Mm-hmm. He's like, okay, I'm about to die. Let me share with you a few home truths before I do. He has got seconds left in which to speak. Mm-hmm. And he makes the most of those last seconds because he can see they are enraged. Uh, verse 51. You stubborn people. 51 to 53. You stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did and so do you. Name- whoa, 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 mm. whoa. That's what who did? Your ancestors did, and so did Okay, you. well, how is that different from what we were reading before? Well, he's no longer saying our ancestors, he's saying your ancestors. Okay, do you realize, Mon, what has just happened here? Yeah, he's... When Stephen goes from our ancestors to your ancestors, this is the point at which God's blessings transfer from the nation of Israel to the Christian church. Mm-hmm. Up until this particular point, the Jews have been God's church. Now the Christian church is God's church. This was what was prophesied in Daniel chapter 9 where you've given you know, three and a half extra years. At this particular point, those three and a half extra years have come to an end. And all the way down through here, Stephen is, yeah, and our ancestors did it, our ancestors, our ancestors, our ancestors. And he's suddenly, you know what? Probation is closed. It's over for you as God's church. You are no longer God's church. Now God's church is the Christian church, your ancestors. And they understood that. Oh, yeah. Oh, they would have heard this very, very clearly. Anyway, finish this one out here. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. Okay, so he's got a very short moment left in which to speak, and he makes the most of it. He comes out hard and he comes out swinging because sometimes that's what human beings need. We need to be hit hard with strong words that will stick in the mind and eat away until a person makes that full surrender to Jesus Christ. If you are feeling under conviction, make that surrender to Jesus today. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine What my eyes will see When your face Is before me I can only imagine I can only imagine 
my knees or will I fall or will I sing hallelujah will I be able to speak at all I can only imagine I can only imagine I can only imagine when that day comes find myself standing in the sun I can only imagine when all I would do is forever forever worship you I can only imagine I can only Unresolved conflict, you know, it can be dealt with. 
If you want to break the cycle and start living a more forgiving life, Forgive to Live is a program designed to help us all improve our lives and be more forgiving. Don't let it eat away at you anymore. If you're keen to discover the power of forgiveness, why don't you take that first step and head to forgivetolive.org.au. Jesus is my lead on my journey. Jesus. Jesus is my lead on my journey. Jesus is my light on my journey. Jesus is my safe on my journey. No one without Jesus Christ. Who will be? Who will become the king of us? Who will become the lead of us? Who will become the savior of us? No one without Jesus Christ. Who will be? Who will become the king of us? Who will become the lead of us? Who will become the savior of us? No one without Jesus Christ. Jesus. Jesus. Set on the light of the world. He who follow me will never go astray. When I'm tempted by the devil, God knows that I will take it as a temptation and try not to do it again. When anyone, when anyone is drawn to Christ, He is a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. Anyone, when anyone, anyone is drawn to Christ, he is a new creation, the old is gone, a new has come. Anyone, when anyone, anyone is joined to Christ, He is a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. Praise the Lord, hallelujah, amen. Praise the Lord, hallelujah, amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Jesus name. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That was Ladies Mid Black Mambanzo. Woohoo! I requested oh. that one. <laughs> I've been pestering our producer to play more of that band. I love that band so much. There you go. Okay, so what have we got for. Uh, oh, we have an answer for our quiz. Yes, no more clues because it's been answered. Marianne Carroll, Carroll from Narara has answered, and the answer is knob. Indeed. Good on you, Mary. Now, I have a question. Yes. Uh, what do you call someone. What, what, what are you called if you are from knob? 
The are you a, are you a knobite or just a knob? Wild. <laughs> 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 oh, that's terrible. Oh, terrible humour this morning on our show. We we apologise. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but good job, Mary. We're going to send you a Swain Eastham album, The Journey of the Spirit. Really going to enjoy that one. In the meantime, it's now time for question of the day. And Lyle, the question that has come in is: Is it okay to eat pig? Sure. What? If you want to die young, <laughs> why not? Oh, pigs. Why would you eat <laughs> Why pigs? would anyone eat a dead pig? I mean, That's seriously. Gross. Pigs are like the grossest creatures on the planet. Why is it that human beings have a fascinating fascination with eating really gross things, you know? It is weird. It's almost like God created some creatures. Like, okay, this, for instance, a lobster. Mm-hmm. Have you ever looked, looked a lobster in the face? I haven't. They are ugly, seriously ugly. Oh yeah, yeah. When you, you see know, them we are the never going to talk about obs- lobsters during our weekly fluff section. Mm-mm, mm-mm. They are ugly creatures, and it's like God is saying, "Okay, this is not food. Don't eat this." It's weird that God created so many good things, like you know, watermelons and strawberries and all this wonderful stuff, yeah, yeah, and yet yeah, we yeah. have to go looking at the most disgusting thing ever to go eat that. Absolutely, and it's like, what are you going to do? Start salivating when you go past a pig farm and you smell it and you see? Oh, it? I don't think disgusting. so. This is not natural. Okay, so the Bible says in Leviticus chapter eleven. I know a lot of people out there are going to go, "Oh, you can't quote from Leviticus." Well, just watch me. <laughs> <coughs> um, the Bible says, "Whatever has a split hoof and chews the cud, that means it has multiple stomachs and chews multiple times, like a cow or a goat or a deer or a sheep or something like that. Mm-hmm. Those you shall eat. Nevertheless, those that do not, the, 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 these shall you not eat of those that chew the cud or of those that divide the hoof." As the camel, because he chews the cud but does not divide the hoof. He is unclean unto you. The Bible says you can't eat dead camels. Sorry to disappoint all of our listeners this morning. Um, And the rabbit, because he chews the cud but does not divide the hoof. He is unclean unto you. Uh, Let's go down. Verse 7. And the pig, though he divides the hoof and is is cloven-footed, yet he does not chew the cud. He is unclean unto you. Okay, so the Bible is very, very clear that we should not eat dead pigs. And Mm -hmm. the reason for this is very, very obvious when you study the science behind it. The science behind it reveals that there are some, if you're going to eat meat, and of course we we promote a plant-based diet here on Faith FM Mm -hmm. um, as the very best diet. But if you're going to eat meat, then you are better off. There are some meats that are better off to eat than others. So for instance, you've got trichina, it's a a terrible worm Mm -hmm. that... um, you know, pigs have living within them and it can live within you and mess you up really, really badly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you can kill that if you cook the pork well enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, that means you just get to eat dead worms. Yeah, it's gross. Yum. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and, and a friend of mine actually had uh, some pork on the stove one time and he didn't realize it was accidentally um, just warmed up a little bit mm-hmm. and the worms were coming out of it half an hour later when he came back. Oh, gross. Yeah, he didn't eat, he didn't eat pork after that. The question is this. Mm-hmm. Did God ever do away with the health message in the Bible? Did God ever say, you know, I want Jews to be healthy. Um, all the rest of you guys who are Gentiles, I really don't give us two hoots about you. No, that doesn't Is that the kind like of that. attitude that God has? No. No. And does God take obedience seriously? Yes. Okay, so let's now go to Isaiah. And once again, you're going, to go, oh, oh, Old Testament, Old Testament. I know, I know. I've heard it all before. But this is a prophecy about the return of Jesus. Verse 15, For behold, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and sword will the Lord judge all flesh, flesh and the slain of the Lord will be many. That's the second coming, right? Mm. 
So this is in New Testament times. Jesus comes in New Testament times, right? Yeah. It goes on. Those that sanctify themselves and purify themselves in the gardens behind one tree in the middle eating the swine's flesh and the abomination and the mouse shall be consumed together, says the Lord. Wow. Okay. So God actually takes this very, very seriously, and He says, "Okay, this is something that um, you know. At the end of time, I'm going to take seriously, and people will be destroyed for their disobedience." If you have a question, give us a call one eight hundred Faith FM. We'll use it as question of the day. If I could have a world and all it owns, a thousand kingdoms, a thousand thrones, if I Oh, mm-hmm. 
That was Alison Krauss in the palm of your hand here on Faith FM, and we have come to the end of the day, and we are about to give something away. Have we got an antiquarian book there? Yes, we do. It's a beautiful old book. I love this one. In Heavenly Places. In Heavenly Places. Daily Devotional. By E.G. White. So every read day. It a number of times. It's lovely, isn't it? <coughs> so every day has a uh, date on it. So, you know, today is July, what's 25? So there's a day for July, July 25. It doesn't have to be specific to any which one year. But um, it's a beautiful book and it has uh, one page a day, basically. So you can go through and it has uh, a Bible verse and a short devotional for that day. What's the 25th of July all about, Mon? What's our Bible verse for the 25th of July? 25th of July is about, I was in June, <laughs> uh, the family altar and the verse was Genesis 12, 8. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And it's actually all about Abraham. Oh, fantastic. Because yeah. Abraham, wherever he went, he built an altar. And worshipped God and set an example for his family mm-hmm, and for future generations to come. And, of course, this uh, passage is an example for us that wherever we go, whatever we're doing, we should have the family altar. We should be having prayer together. We should be having worship together and spending time with God. So this book is completely for free. You can uh, get it from us. If you're the first person to call us now, 1-800-FAITH-FM. It's 1-800-324-843. Uh, as long as you're the first person through, we will send this to you free of charge. The perfect book for establishing your family altar or text us on 0491-064-669 or you can shoot us a message on any of our social medias. Uh, we have Instagram, Faith, Facebook and <laughs> Twitter. Of course, we have details up there for the Voice of the Martyrs um, if you'd like to know more about the interview that we had earlier in the day. But don't forget, we love to connect people with the Bible. If you'd like to study the Bible for yourself, let us know and we will make it happen in any which way that we possibly can. So many different ways that people can study and share God's Word together. love is this, O oh my soul, O oh my soul. What wondrous love is this, O oh my soul. What wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul, for my soul. To bear the dreadful curse for my soul. What wondrous love is this, O oh my soul, O oh my soul? What wondrous love is this, O oh my soul? What wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss? To bear the dreadful curse for my soul, for my soul. To bear the dreadful curse for my soul. When I was sinking down, sinking down, sinking down. When I was sinking down, sinking down. When I was 
sinking down beneath God's righteous frown. Christ laid aside his crown for my soul, for my soul. Christ laid aside his crown for my soul. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing on, I'll sing on. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing on. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing and joyful be. And through eternity, I'll sing on, I'll sing on. And through eternity, I'll sing on. What wondrous love is this, oh my soul, this is what wondrous love is this, oh my soul, love is this, what wondrous love is this, cause the Lord is this, to bear the dreadful curse for my I didn't have time in my hurry today to smile at the folks I met, and I failed to kiss someone as I rushed away and I caused her to worry and fret. I didn't have time to say, how are you, or note that the weather was fine. Tomorrow, I planned on doing these things, but today, I just didn't have time. I didn't have time to stop with a friend who needed the help I could bring, and I didn't have time, not a moment to spend, where loneliness had left its sting. Didn't have time to visit the sick or give an old panhandler a dime, and I'll wait till tomorrow or maybe next week, but today, I just don't have time. I didn't have time for upbuilding thoughts, not even a moment of prayer. I feel my whole life has gone for naught, and now it's too late to care. But as I walk down life's final mile, and I stand in God's receiving line, I somehow wonder if he just might close the gate and say, uh, remember, you didn't have time. <laughs>